week of our Reformation series. This is Reformation Sunday, so happy Reformation Day. It's 500 years. Felt like yesterday when I was... No, just kidding. Um, I want to begin with telling you a true story that on the 4th of April, 1523, a group of 12 young nuns escaped from their convent. A convent is the monastery for females, for nuns. They've been reading... Uh, books and materials by Martin Luther, the great reformer. They've been impacted as they read and looked at the Bible by the ideas of the Reformation, and they didn't want to be nuns anymore. Now, it's much easier to think about escaping uh, than you think, uh, because actually they were closed off from the outside world, so they were not meant to have any contact with the outside world. They were just 12 females they didn't have martial arts. This isn't the Shaolin nunnery. Um, and, and, uh, and they were young. So how in the world were they going to escape? Well, this is how it happened. They decided to get the help of the man that they've been reading, Luther himself. So this is a little bit like something out of a novel or a, um, a movie, but this actually happened. Uh, after corresponding secretly with Luther, he managed to find them a way out. So he, he, how he did it was, uh, he found a merchant who was delivering barrels of fish uh, into the convent and arranged for them to be secretly smuggled out with the barrels on the wagon on the night of the 4th of April, 1523. And that's how these 12 young nuns got out. That was a great story, uh, a true story, but you've got to remember at that time what a big risk this was. Right? It was a huge risk. They broke their vows as nuns. They were in danger if they were caught. I mean, the best case scenario, they'd be sent back and had to continue being nuns, but probably they would have been disciplined. There was a chance they would have been excommunicated. Now, once they're out, you've got problems there too because most of their families didn't want to take them back because they were afraid that the church would excommunicate them. Um, and so they were going back into the world, young, single females in a society that was male-dominated, with no social welfare, no jobs, no families, no husbands. They were risking everything. Why? Why would they risk everything? Well, they risked it all because of the things that we're going to look at today on the last Sunday of the Reformation teaching series. In fact, so many uh, historians and scholars actually think that this teaching of Luther we're looking at today has had the greatest impact in Western society and history and economics. It changed everything, they would say. For many here, I want to suggest to you that probably out of the four series, four sermons in the series, this is probably the one that's going to be the most practical to all your everyday lives. Because Luther's teaching on vocation we'll look at today will touch on the everyday It'll be about your homes. It'll be about your marriages. It'll be about your jobs. It'll be about your studies. It'll be about being citizens in the world. Okay, and if the Reformation, or the, the, the solas, the alones, is ultimately about soli deo gloria, right, which is, could to God be the glory alone, then today we're going to look at, well, how do you glorify God as a follower of Jesus in your everyday life? So let me pray, and let's uh, get into it. Father God, Help us to see clearly, not what Luther said ultimately, but what your word says, in order that we might take it into our lives and live for your glory alone. Amen. Follow on your outlines if you want on Zach's page. It's got a few points. The first thing I want to talk about is some mistakes 
in our thinking about this idea of vocation. So we're going to look at vocation. Let me define it first. What does the word vocation mean? Well, you probably know from the English that there's words like vocal or um, voice. They're all related words because vocation has to do with calling. All right? It has to do with the, the, the voice. So God's calling on the lives of His people is what we're talking about here. God's calling on the lives of His people. But what does it mean that God calls us? Because that's another kind of christian idea, but you actually think about it, what does that actually mean? Right? He rings you on the phone. I don't know. Anyway, a call, usually, even when it doesn't have to do with God, we use it sometimes, don't we? It has to do with, you know, setting people on a specific course of action or giving them a particular task or purpose. Yeah, so for example, um, your country might call you to arms. Right? We're in a war with North Korea. Okay, we're not. It's too soon. Yeah, okay. Too real. We're in a war with Albania because no one cares about them. Um, Sorry, that was from a movie where they just, it was called, yeah, I won't go there. Um, and your call to arms, right? This is your call to war. Or who's been called to jury duty? Yeah, so, yeah quite a lot of you. Wow. See, your, your government is calling you as a citizen to participate in the process of, 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 of the courts. So a call to jury duty. That's the idea, isn't it? You get called to specific tasks for specific purpose. Now, the Bible speaks about God calling his people to tasks two purposes, two courses of action. Now, in the Old Testament Bible, especially the first two-thirds of the Bible written before Jesus, he especially called people to tasks like being a prophet or being a priest or kings or leaders, right? That's the idea of calling or the idea of vocation. Now, there's two mistakes we can make, and they're almost like two opposite mistakes, but let me go through The first mistake is the mistake that Luther and the Reformers uh, found themselves uh, being amongst because the Roman Catholic Church of their day, and actually even today, they take the Old Testament view of God calling people to, to special tasks and they limit vocation to something that God only does for holy people. Right? Holy people to holy tasks. Only some people, only special people. So priests in the Roman Catholic Church. You're called to to Roman Catholic Church priesthood or becoming a monk or becoming a nun. It's God calling you and taking you out of the world in order that you might be especially holy and do His work. And when you are called in that way as a holy person for holy work, you're called to live separately from the world. And so the other idea that's here in this false view of vocation is that God calls you out of the world and now you occupy the spiritual realm because He's called you out of the world, which is sometimes called the secular realm. So there's this divide between secular and spiritual. So I'll give you an example. So someone like Martin Luther, who was a monk, uh, or those 12 nuns, they were called, and in their calling, they would be vowing part of the becoming a monk or nun is to vow three things, and they are poverty, chastity, and obedience. So the, the uh, vow of poverty would take them out of the economics of the secular world, right? Because they weren't to make money, they weren't to get rich. Chastity would take them out of marriage. They weren't allowed to get married. And obedience would take them out of obedience to human governments because they now had a higher authority, which is church governance, especially the Pope, but also the people who are like in charge of their monastery. 
All right, that's the idea. Holy people called out of the world occupy now a special spiritual sphere for holy things. But it wasn't for everyone, just special people. If you wanted to serve God, you had to be called and you had to go into this special realm. Now, we'll see in a moment why that thinking is not biblical and it's wrong and it's actually what the reformers fought against. But sometimes I think we need to be careful we don't have our own version of this. See, I know a lot of people coming from a lot of non-Catholic, Protestant churches, evangelical churches even, and your thinking is that calling, vocation, is still something that God does for special people, particularly those who are going into Christian ministry, pastors, missionaries, full-time ministers, campus staff workers, right? God calls you, and when He calls you, He takes you out of the world into the spiritual sphere so you can specially serve Him. And what you're doing there is somehow more important or more holy. And the worldly or the secular sphere, if, I've just, if I'm not called out of that world, I guess I have a less important and less holy role. Yeah? I know a lot of people who grew up in churches that basically taught that. And so you feel like, you know, if I'm not called out of that, if I'm not called to special ministry positions or ministry roles, then what I'm doing 9 to 5 is just not as important. Now, I wonder if that's a view that you've inherited, because it's actually a Catholic view. But the second mistake, as I said, is almost the opposite, not quite the opposite mistake. Now, this, this mistake is thinking that vocation equals my job or my career. So where it's got it right is, unlike the first mistake, it's right to see that it's not just for holy people, for holy jobs. It's actually for all Christians in the secular realm that God actually has a vocation for all people. Now, we're going to see, in some sense, that's actually very, very right. But the problem is, and where they get it wrong, is that vocation now equals my job, my career. And that's actually how we use the word vocation, right? Vocation is not a Christian word, but because of the Reformation, it began to be used in terms of your job. So when you're talking about vocational training, what are they talking about? Training for your career, Yeah. Vocation equals job. Now, that is another mistake. That's not actually what Luther taught. That's not what the Protestants, the early Protestants believed either. It's not what the Bible teaches. Now, we will see in a moment that vocation, of course, has to do with your jobs and your careers are involved, but it's not just. And it's really quite wrong to see it as just about your jobs and careers. Because if you do, and you think God has a vocation and my vocation is, and that equals your job, is you're going to have a very narrow and what I would think a very static, a non-changing view of God's call on your life. So, for example, sometimes people will say, you know, my vocation, my calling from God, well, it's not to be a minister, no, no, that's you, but my vocation is to be an accountant. So I need to be the best accountant I can be. So unless it has to do with spreadsheets and calculators, it's not my calling. Right? My calling, to be an accountant. Now, there's nothing wrong with being an accountant. There's certainly nothing wrong with spreadsheets and calculators. But when people with this view of vocation, very narrow, very static view, when they're challenged about doing something else with their lives or careers, like perhaps thinking about going on mission or becoming a pastor or training for ministry or even changing careers, they will say, sorry, no, that's not my calling. My vocation is, okay, you see, it becomes a very static view. Because vocation equals job. And I wonder if maybe that's your view. 
Well, that's also mistaken, as we'll see in a moment. So let's have a look at point number two. And I want to talk about how Luther helps us to understand the Bible's view of vocation. The first thing is a very clear uh, teaching um, that we need to get our heads around. And it's probably not that, uh, it's probably, you know, it's probably something pretty obvious for most people here. If you've read the Bible, you'll know that when God talks about calling on the Christian, he means all Christians in all of your life. All right? God has a calling on all Christians, all of his followers, for all of your life. So this is especially against that first mistaken view, thinking that vocation is just for holy people doing holy things, priestly, monk, nun type things. No, no, no. God calls all of his people and it involves all of our lives. You see, when the New Testament speaks about calling, it doesn't apply mainly to the special offices like pastor or prophet or leader. That's more Old Testament type of calling. The New Testament, funnily enough, doesn't adopt that when it talks about pastors or missionaries. Right? Most of the ways it uses calling is what applies to all of God's people. And we saw that, didn't we? Because in 1 Peter 9, that, uh, 2 verse 9 that we read before, you see it says, We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We'll look at that in a moment. God's special possession. But notice this, that you may declare the praises of him who called you. There's the vocation idea. He called you. But what did he call you to? To become an accountant? No. To become a pastor? No. He called you, all of his people, out of darkness and into his wonderful light. It's about salvation. And you read the New Testament and you search the idea of God's calling. And I did that this week. Calling. And I think all of the references had to do with either God calling you to be saved, to trust in Jesus, to become his, or what it means to be saved. He called you to live a life that's consistent with that, to reject sin, to follow Jesus. Yeah, has to do with salvation or godly living. That's pretty much how the New Testament uses the idea of call, which actually means it's for all Christians. And it's not about serving him full-time, whether you're a pastor or a staff worker or a no, and it's not remotely related to your jobs either. It's not used in that way in the New Testament either. So both mistakes are, are clearly wrong. Now, if you want to boil it all down, a nice way to think about it is God calls all of his people. The moment you are born again, trust in Jesus and belong to him, he calls all of us to live that out. And if you want to simplify it, he calls us to live it out in terms of the two greatest commands. And this is often how Luther talked about it. What are the two greatest commands? When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? He said, it's what? Firstly, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then secondly, and just as important, love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to think about it, and Luther often talks about it, God calls all of us to do those things. Right? You want to honor God in your life. You want to glorify Him. You love Him. You love your neighbor. And that happens in every single sphere of your life. This is radically different to the Catholic view. And there's no, notice there's no sacred versus secular divide. You're to love God and love your neighbor in all parts of life, in and out of church, whether it has to do with gospel ministry or not. And the reason why this comes about is what we've been looking at the last three weeks, particularly two weeks ago. Remember, we looked at how we are made right with God by trusting in Jesus who died in our place on the cross alone, not by anything we do. Nothing we do makes us more acceptable before God. Nothing we do earns brownie points with God. But Jesus, because he was perfect, 
he credits his perfection as ours so that we can be right with God on his account. Yeah, we talked about it. Justification by faith alone, in other words. Now, once you understand that, all of a sudden you see that holiness and being right with God and pleasing to God has nothing to do with right, the offices or the roles that you might have inside church. It has nothing to do with those parts of your life that seem spiritual. Because through Jesus, all of our lives have become holy to God. And it's not because of what we do, it's because of what Jesus has done. Do you see how justification by faith just completely wipes out that distinction between holy people and non-holy people in terms of God's people? All of God's people are holy. Bible's view is we're all saints. Uh, the Catholics would have, you know, saint, saints as kind of very special people with special merits and special holiness. That's not the Bible's view. The Bible's view is this is Saint Dominic and that's Saint Dong. And that's St. May, right? If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. And if you're a follower of Jesus, says the Bible, it goes one step further. You're all priests. So again, the Catholic view that there are only some people who are priests and the other people are not, well, that's wrong as well. Because the Bible, remember 1 Peter 2.9? You are a royal priesthood. All of God's people are priests. And the reason is because there was one great high priest, Jesus. And when he died as the one sacrifice for the sins of his people once and for all, he makes us all priests before God. Because we all have that kind of access. The Catholic view is that some people need to stand between God and human beings. And they're the priests, special people. The Bible's view is that once you trust in Jesus... You all have that access to God. And the sacrifices that you now offer as this spiritual priesthood, the Bible talks about as, well, not animals, or not even just the stuff you do at church when you're teaching kids Sunday school, or you're leading community groups, or you're serving up front. No, no. The sacrifices that you make as priests, and we're all priests, is actually your everything. Your bodies. Your lives your jobs, your relationships, your time, your money, everything. And so a few verses earlier in 1 Peter 2, it says, As you come to Jesus, have a look there, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That's all of us. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The sacrifices God wants is all of us all of our lives, all the time, because we're all priests. Now, this absolutely changes everything. So if you have a look at what Luther now says, Therefore I advise no one to enter any religious order or priesthood unless he is forearmed with this knowledge and understands that the works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks but that all works are measured before God by faith alone. You can understand why this was like a thunderbolt into the whole system, not just in church, but society of medieval Catholicism. It changed everything. So it's all of life for all people who belong to Jesus. That's the first idea about vocation. The second one is what I'll call the difference between big V and little v vocation. Let me explain that. 
Remember I said that the, uh, the idea of God's calling is that He calls all of His people to belong to Him in all of their lives. If you like to think of that, that is what I call um, the big V vocation. That's what Luther will often speak about when he talks about vocation. Right? You all have it. If you follow Jesus, you all have the big V vocation to live as His people in His world. So it's not just your job. Your whole life is lived for His glory, to love Him, to serve others. Now, there's also, within that though, Ways in which we live out that big V vocation that's going to be different for every Christian person. Right? Big V vocation, the same for all of God's people, but little V vocations are going to be little differences in your life package that God calls you to at particular times of your life to fulfill the big V vocations. But the, the package is going to be different for everyone. And the package will actually change. Your little V vocations will change as you change, right? Now, what I'm trying to say is um, the little V vocations are not just your jobs and your careers, but they include everything that God has given you in your particular uh, time of your life. So at my particular um, uh, stage of life, that includes being a son because my parents are still alive. It includes being a husband. That's my vocation as well. It includes being a dad. That's my vocation as well. Right? It includes being a church pastor, it includes being a friend, it includes being a neighbor, it includes being a citizen. That's just for me. And for you, it'll be some of those things, but not all of those things. Do you see what I mean? Some of you are students. Right? Some of you are single. All of those, Luther will say, are your little V vocations. And that's how you live out your big V vocation in the particular little V vocations God has given you. Now, the difference between the big and little V is a little bit, I like to think about it like this. Um, you probably, some of you will know, I studied media and film when I was in uni. And so what we had to do was do student films, okay, which is um, very different to Hollywood big budget films, like Worlds Apart. I mean, we didn't get paid and all that. But um, in a Hollywood film, what happened is you have one job and that's pretty much it. Right? If you're an actor, that's your role. If you're like, that's your vocation. If you're a director, that's your role. If you're an editor, that's your role. And you get paid whether or not the film succeeds. And some, some actors often, you hear them in interviews, you know, years after, and they're like, I can't believe I started in that role. And they don't really care because they got paid anyway, right? But in a student film, there's probably only three to four of you if you're lucky. The whole film is just done by a few people. Now, everyone has different roles. Like, I'm often the person who does the camera work and all that kind of stuff. But you see, everyone in that production is involved in making the production happen. As in, you all care. And you're all involved in making sure this film gets off the ground. In a sense, the whole production becomes all of our big V vocation within that film. We all care about it. And because we all care about the big V vocation, we play different little V vocation roles within that. But while I was, my little V vocation might have been the cinematographer... Guess what else I was doing? I was also helping find locations, setting up lighting, helping with catering, doing set decorations, uh, finding costumes for the actors, bringing coffee, buying lunch, doing some of the post-production. You know, you weren't limited to just your role. Why? Because you cared about the whole thing. That's a little bit more like the, the kind of life that the Bible pictures. You've got your big V vocation, which is to honor God, love Him, love your neighbors, and within that, you play a multiple number of different roles in order to achieve that. 
And so let's zero in a little bit more about this idea of serving God in your vocations, your little v vocations. Remember, the Catholic view of vocation is that you only get to really serve God when you're not engaged in the secular and the things of the world. So ordinary jobs, even marriage, is lesser. Holy people serve God. The rest didn't, really. And Luther says, well, this completely misses what the Bible says about how God has actually evolved in the world. I mean, just think for a moment, as you're sitting there, how has God made it possible for each of you to be here today? How has He actually made that possible? You go right back, and it's because your parents gave birth to you, right? And raised you, whether by your parents or other parental figures, or maybe just a single parent, but someone raised you. Schools educated you. Um, The government provides law and order and a prosperous nation for you so that you live beyond the age of 13. You didn't have to starve. Uh, People worked in factories, guess what, to make the cars and the trains and the buses that you used to come here. Mechanics serviced the cars and trains and buses. Farmers and factory workers grew and packaged your food so you could buy it in the supermarket where people worked. And then maybe someone cooked it for you or you cooked it yourself, perhaps using stoves that someone else built that you bought. and Builders and tradies made this hall in the church that we're sitting in and the seats. Do you see? God put you here today through all of these many, many, many ordinary things. All of these many, many ordinary vocations. Everything from parent to tradies. And Luther says, you see, that's how God is at work in the world. That's how God works through ordinary little v-vocations. They are all masks of God. God is behind all of them, even though it's not obvious. Which means when you live out all of these little v-vocations, whether you are professionally a tradie or an accountant, or whether you are in your family a, a father or a mother or a son or daughter, you actually get to be an instrument of God in His work in His world. Yeah? Because He uses the ordinary. He uses you if you're a student. He uses you as a worker, as a child, as a citizen, as a parent, as a neighbor. So please see that all of these ordinary activities, all these ordinary little v vocations, are ways in which you serve God. But you see, it's not just serving God, is it? Because the two greatest commands, love God and love your neighbor. And when it comes to little v vocations, you actually love God by loving your neighbor. Right? And he calls all of us to do that. So loving your neighbor, says Luther, is actually something that comes out of being justified by faith. We, we ought to, Christians, once you're right with God, you, you actually want to do this, don't you? Because he says, look, have a look at that. Faith brings and gives Christ to you as his own, as your own, with all his possessions. Love gives you to your neighbor with all your possessions. If you understand what it is and what Jesus has done for you, you want to love your neighbor. Or as someone once said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Right? Your good works doesn't make you right with God. God doesn't need them. But he wants his people to overflow with good works for the sake of the people around him. And so it's really important that we see that our vocations are a way for us to love and serve our neighbors. And here is the problem, Luther says, with being a monk or a nun. By taking you out of the world, 
to supposedly live out your special holy calling, you actually fail to love your neighbor. And he was a monk, so he know. Remember those vows? Poverty. It means you now don't take part in the economy of society to help create wealth for your neighbor. Chastity. It means that you can't ever get married, and so it removes any opportunity for you to raise children and love them. Obedience. It actually takes you away from being a citizen of this world and contributing to society. In every single way, these supposedly holy things actually cause you to fail to love your neighbor and therefore fail to love God. Instead, Luther says this, If you are a manual laborer, you find that the Bible has been put into your workshop. Right? This is so revolutionary. The Bible is in your workshop, into your hand, into your heart. Where does the Bible teach and preach? Well, it teaches and preaches how you should treat your neighbor. Just look at your tools, at your needle or thimble, your beer barrel. Everything he does talks about beer in some way. That's why I love this man. Your goods, your scales or yardstick or measure. And you will read this statement inscribed on them. Everywhere you look, it stares at you. Nothing that you handle every day is so tiny that it does not continually tell you this if you will only listen. That this is loving your neighbor as the Bible commands. How do you love your neighbor? It's with that calculator. It's with those books. It's with that dirty nappy. Well, that sounds gross, but you know what I mean. So I wonder, I want to challenge you. How do you view your little V vocations? Whether it's a paid or unpaid role, whether it's inside the home or outside the home. Are you using it? Do you see them as there to serve you or to serve others? You see, if we were really convinced that this is actually, that, that role you have, that small V vocation is actually practically how I every day love God and love my neighbor, I wonder how that might really change our attitude to what we're doing and how we're doing it. It would, wouldn't it? Whether you love what you do, right? And sometimes we overvalue it and it just becomes about me and my self-esteem and my advancement and my... Or we undervalue it. We think, oh, I'm just a mother. You know, this is all I do. I wish I was doing something more directly involved in the lives of people instead of just, you know, burping and feeding and changing nappies. Now, doesn't it change everything you do when you realize it's there in the ordinary that you are serving God? And serving your neighbor, even if your neighbor is a tiny baby. But the last thing I, uh, Luther points out, and it's really important in light of what we looked at last week. Remember, Luther's theology of the cross. Not everything is obvious. Right? Some things you only see when you look behind it. Because, as we saw last week, God's power is often hidden in weakness. God's glory in suffering. That's the theology of the cross. Now, he applies that to vocation as well. Because, guess what? Almost all of your little V vocations will involve some level of hardship at some time. Those of you waiting to get married like Dom and Jody, guess what? Married life can be really hard, right? It's a constant putting yourself to death to love and serve your spouse, to forgive and keep on forgiving, to confess your sins to each other. To That's hard. Parenting, oh boy, is that tiring stuff, right? Amen to that, Sarah and Clem and others, Grace, Johnson, and others to be parents, right? And we've got teenage kids. Ah, that's like a whole different hell. Um, <laughs> it's hard, it's thankless. She's not here, I can say that. Um, singleness, 
that can be really, really difficult, right? Struggling with loneliness and envy and sexual purity in the midst of your singleness. If you're a student, you're studying. I mean, there's exams, there's assignments. There's other students that don't cooperate in group assignments. Um, jobs, if you're in, hard, you know, it could be hard manual labor or it could be office jobs, but long hours, bad bosses, job, in, I mean, you name it. All of our little vocations have degrees of hardship. And Luther says, you've got to see all of that through the lens of the cross. Because if you're really serving God in a cross-shaped way and serving your neighbor in a cross-shaped way, guess what? It's not going to be a walk in the park. It's going to be hard. Jesus went to die on the cross. Remember that. Right? And so the father who works his job until he is exhausted so that he can provide for his family and then has to sacrifice a Saturday to drive his kids around when he'd much rather be doing something else. Guess what he's doing? He is, in the words of Romans 12, he is presenting his body as a living sacrifice for his family. He is living out the theology of the cross in his life through his little v vocation as a father and a husband. See, we often make the mistake of measuring success and satisfaction in our work and career in terms of what makes me happy, what makes me fulfilled, job satisfaction, you know. But if you are to have a cross-viewed view of your life, then your work and career might be viewed quite differently. Not just about fulfilling me, it's about serving others. So let me go to my final point, and I want to apply this in terms of, firstly, jobs and career, but secondly, home and family, lastly, church and gospel work. So point number three. Um, Remember, let's not make the modern mistake of thinking little v vocation just means your career. Otherwise, you know, you can be selfish about it and it's something that would never change. Now, it's true that your job and your career, if you have one, does, uh, is part of your, 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 your life package. That's one of your little V vocations. And you're obviously supposed to glorify God by loving Him and serving your neighbor through that. Right? But that's not all of it. And so in order to sometimes fulfill your big V vocation of how is it, in terms of my stage of life, what God has given me, my opportunities, my gifts, my life circumstances, my other little V vocations, how can I honor God the most? How can I love Him and serve my neighbor the most? Sometimes you will actually need to change jobs and careers. Or sometimes you will need to maybe stop paid work and put a pause to your job and career to fulfill the big V vocation. A lot of parents do that. Often it's moms, but also dads sometimes. Right? I'm just going to stop working. I may never go back to work because my little v vocation now as a parent requires me to serve my neighbor who is this baby or this child or these children. And for us, that's the best way we can do it. Or sometimes you will need to stick with your bummer of a job because you are carrying your cross. And it's not all about job satisfaction. Yeah. You see, it changes how we think about jobs, careers. How about home and family? Are you a consistent person at home, whether you are a home as a, you know, living with your parents or living in a marriage situation or living with housemates? Are you consistent at home as you are outside of the home? Is it the same you? Because if you're quite a different person, the person we see in church, as opposed to the person you are to your wife or husband or your kids or your parents, then there's a good chance you're separating somehow, right? what you think is honoring to God and what isn't. Because home and marriage and parenting 
and singleness, all of these things are supposed to be living out your big V vocation of honoring God. And so if you are still, and there are some people in high school here today, if you're still living at home, then you are to obey your parents, says the Bible. That's how you love God and serve your neighbor. If you're a parent, you're to raise your children without exasperating them. And that's a rebuke to me. I've got a teenager. It's easy to be exasperated, but I shouldn't be exasperated and exasperating her. Husbands, love your wives unconditionally. Wives, honor and respect your husbands unconditionally. Singles, including those who are dating but not yet married, live holy and sexually pure lives and pursue healthy spiritual friendships. That's actually how it's worked out. Your little V vocations in the home and in your family. And what about church and gospel work? Well, as we said before, the Bible doesn't make a distinction between sacred and secular. And so church work is not more valuable or more holy than what you do maybe outside of church as an accountant, as a teacher, or whatever it is that you do. Even though that's the case, gospel work, while not making you more holy or it being more valuable, does have a certain priority according to the New Testament. Why? Because the times are short, people need to hear it, and Jesus is coming back soon. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to quit their jobs and become a pastor or a staff worker. But it does mean that for some people, your big V vocation is best played out if you forego or change some of your paid work in order to do more gospel work. That's what Kit has obviously decided to do. That's what all our students have decided to do. That's what even Dong and Lisa have decided to do as they think about doing ministry training next year. See, we're all called to give our lives for God and our neighbor, but for some, how you play it out is by actually changing your small v vocations so that you can do more gospel work. And if that's the case, we need to get behind them and support them, don't we? Let me conclude. After the nuns escaped, as I said, there's 12 nuns. Uh, they had no homes, they had no jobs, they had no means of support. And so Luther set out to find them all husbands. Yep, that's what he did. He went and found them all husbands, or well, all of them, except their leader, Katerina. Now she had other, I mean, she had suitors, some people wanted to marry her, but she didn't just go for any odd guy. And so she says to Luther, hey, if you can't find me a husband, you better man up and marry me yourself. Oh. Yeah, what a proposal, huh? Um, he resisted initially. He thought he could best do his work staying single. He had a lot to do. But eventually, he gave in. And so you see, they married in 1525, but it wasn't out of infatuation or love in the kind of romantic sense. They married pretty much out of responsibility and obligation. But guess what? Theirs was one of the happiest marriages you will read of church leaders in all of Christian history. You've got to read about it. Read about Katie. Read about Luther. It's just a beautiful story. Um, it's once said to me that your spouse can either double your ministry or halve it. Well, for Luther, Katie more than doubled his ministry. He was totally wrong thinking he could be more effective as a single person. Because of Katie, he was way more effective as a married person. Now, what's important whether, isn't whether he, um, you know, that he got married. The, the important thing is that he lived out what he taught and he modeled it, right? And you can do that whether you're married or not. For Luther, it meant 
at that stage that he needed to take on the small v vocation of being a husband and eventually being a father. It's going to be different for some of you. So I'm going to ask you, what do you understand your vocation to be? God's calling on your life. Do you understand both the big V calling on your life as well as the little V vocations on your life? That you are a big V vocation to love God in your neighbor with your whole life every single day and to use all of your little V vocations, all of your opportunities, all of your life circumstances, your gifts, your talents, your jobs, your families, your home, everything to fulfill that big calling that God has to love Him by loving your neighbor. Have you understood that? Because it's going to affect what you do tomorrow, isn't it? Let's pray. Help us, Father God, to understand, appreciate, and to live out your calling on our lives, both the big and the small, that we may honor you and bring you alone glory. Amen. We're going